Hey guys, Eric from Working Dog Radio. I want to talk to you about one of my favorites, and that is Dogtra. I've been using Dogtra collars for a long time, way before they became a sponsor of the podcast. At the Police Canine Association, we've been using them, and that's all we use. Uh, we've been vendors for a while now, but we've been users of Dogtra collars way before we became vendors. At my kennel, I have a drawer full of them. I have the 1900S e collars, and I got a bunch of 600 bark collars. I like it nice and quiet. My kennel and those bark collars work perfectly. But Dogtra is not just sitting back doing nothing. They're out there uh, innovative designs, coming up with new stuff. And in May, they launched three new products. All right. They uh, sent them to Ted and I, and we get to test them. I cannot wait. This is the coolest part of my job here. Now, I want to talk to you about the one that I'm going to try, and that's the Pathfinder. It's a GPS tracking and training collar where no cellular is required. There's free detailed satellite and terrain views from Google Maps along with an offline maps mode. Easy location sharing for dogs and dog owners. History playback on your smartphone and computer and custom alerts for dog actions using pop-ups, sound, and vibration. I have two brand new dogs in my kennel. I just started introducing them tracking a couple days ago and I can't wait to get them out and get longer and try these things out. Bird dog guys, trial dog guys, these things are perfect for you guys. Um, check them out, man. They're not waiting on us. They got them out there because they are proven with their stuff. Give them a call, 888-811-9111. Dogtra. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, we are back again with another episode of Working Dog Radio. I'm Ted Summers. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Uh, nothing. Um, well, I, actually, a lot. But uh, I apologize to everybody. I'm doing this on my phone. i got to go to my daughter's regional track championship finals is tonight. And... Uh, so and it's going to suck too because it's 84 degrees and these kids got to do all this track stuff. But uh, so yeah, we got some new dogs in. Just letting them chill for a couple of days, and I'll start messing with them in the evenings. And um, just looking forward to this. It for those of you who are listening, we recorded this the Friday of Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to enjoy the fact that I live in a lake, and Memorial Day weekend is a big deal. <laughs> nice. I am. Mm. Uh... It's hot as shit here. It was like 94 degrees, and it rained yesterday, and it's like breathing through a fucking straw outside right now. The first week that it's hot and the first week that it's cold, I swear to God, it is the worst, like, it is the worst change every year, and I'm going to uh, Arkansas this weekend to do a trial, I'm uh, decoying a trial for PSA, and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be standing outside for two days in the sun with my bite suit on, so... Yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, 
other than that, I've started a new explosives dog for an art department in Arkansas, a couple more dual-purpose dogs, and we got a guy in town from Kansas doing finishing his research for a uh, single purpose. So it's been fairly interesting. Um, nothing crazy, though, but which is good. Crazy, not crazy is good. Um, so today with us, we've got the guys from Storm Tactical Consulting on. Um, Fred, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No Appreciate problem, it. man. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about what Storm Tactical Consulting is. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit of the background and how you got into the uh, dog side of stuff. Okay. <clears throat> um, so my company, Storm Tactical Consulting, is basically I'm a, I'm a one-man operation. Uh, occasionally I'll bring in other guys that I've worked with in the past to help me teach. Uh, that's what I do, mostly instruction I run courses uh, ranging any, anywhere from pistol and rifle marksmanship to sniper training through canine, which is kind of one of the last things I did in, in the military. Um, that's kind of the brief synopsis of, of the company. Awesome. So um, you were Army uh, as a handler. Uh, what uh, what were you? Where were you handling? Or not specifically where? But uh, you handled a dual purpose dog in uh, a specialized unit. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my last few years in the Army, <clears throat> um, you know, the kind of war was going full full stream. Um, doing a lot of back-to-back rotations, and our canine team uh, needed some guys. So I volunteered. I left uh, the sniper team to go over to do that because I've never worked with dogs before, and it seemed pretty cool. You know, being around the dog guys, they seemed like they enjoyed their job. Um, So I was part of a real small canine contingent, um, the Army's uh, contingent to JSOC basically in uh, operate, Army Special Operations. So small unit, kind of specialized mission sets. Um, I really like the dog stuff. Got to do it. Uh, I, I only did it for about, about two years, my last two years, because I ended up getting a pretty bad injury decoying, of all things. So I tore my ACL <laughs> doing a decoy course, actually, with Franco Angelini. Uh, I'm sure you guys heard of him. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty bad. The photographer was like, hey, man, I heard your knee snap or oh. pop. I'm like, yeah, I felt it. I just so, threw up. I just threw up a little bit. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, yeah. fuck me. Um, that, that was fun. But anyways, I was really close to retiring, so I had to uh, hang up the bite suit for a little while and uh, concentrate on getting my knee surgically repaired and then rehabilitation in time for my retirement because I was getting close to my 20 years, which is, that was my, you know, kind of my milestone was 20 years and then I was done. <clears throat> so, uh, then I took a job. I retired. I took a job at K2 Solutions as a special operations, multi-purpose canine project manager, I guess, which is really long title. Basically training trainers and soft dogs or special operations forces, dogs for contracts and so on or so forth. And uh, I left K2 in 2014. I, I retired in 2012 from the Army, left K2 in 2014, started my own company, which is Storm Tactical Consulting. Awesome. awesome. 
So you were uh, obviously most of us, most of you guys are <clears throat> cross trained everything else. You said you left the sniper team. So before that, uh, before you were a handler, how much access did you have to dogs? Obviously, you guys had team dogs on the teams already. Um, yeah, so we have a dedicated canine team, which the uh, I guess try to keep it vague here, but the department of the unit I was in or the subunit of the unit I was in, we had a uh, a canine team that would attach members, a, a dog team, basically handler and dog, right. to an assault team or or whatever the mission sets were to an element. And they would get attached for those for that deployment or those missions, um, and it was really small. My team was four guys with each each of us had a dog, and we had uh, alternate dogs in case one got hurt or killed. So the guys I've talked to that were uh, you know involved in Army Special Operations dog teams, be it yep. Green Berets, Rangers, wherever else, the times when they were in there. You guys were crushing it, like getting a ton of work overseas, like nuke and do. Oh yeah, was it pretty active? Oh, while you were oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the unit I was in, we started the soft canine program, kind of spearheaded it, and then all the other units kind of fell into play and picked up the program. And now some of them have really huge dog programs, which is pretty cool because it's such a, it's such an awesome tool, man. They're just just figuring out how to. You know, I don't even think they have figured out all the possible capabilities you can do with those dogs. But, <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty big. It, it blew up in the short, I, I guess it started in the early 2000s, right around when the global war on terrorism started. And then, you know, now, like, they don't go out. They don't go outside the wire without taking a dog or two with them, depending on the mission set. So, yeah, it's Correct. become pretty big. When I was I was out for a little while working uh, the NSW contract on the West Coast, and like yeah. end of thirteen into fourteen, and at that time those guys weren't really getting to bite a ton of people. Um, they were early on, you know, and during the wars yeah. and stuff. But the NSW had kind of pulled them back on on actually biting people. But a friend of mine that was in the Army program, uh, I'll ask you afterwards. You might know him, but he was like, "Yeah, dude, we're we're going for six months, and we're just." getting double-digit numbers and question people. And I'm like, that that's what it should be. Yeah, there was, there was a, a, in its heyday, man, when it was at full full steam, we were doing, I don't know, two hits a night sometimes, maybe even three if there were follow-ons, and guys were getting dog bites left and right. Unfortunately, because of, you know, the tool that it is, <clears throat> we would lose a lot of dogs. Uh, for us, it was squirter control, you know, um, guys, bad guys fleeing a target when they hear us coming and hiding in palm groves or woods or what have you, culverts. And then, you know, with the ISR, all the technology they have now, they have planes with cameras watching those guys hide. So they could kind of direct us in. And we're wearing, you know, we're all using night vision and thermals. So most of the time, bad guys don't know you're coming. And we get downwind of the, where the, uh, planes would tell us they're hiding and we just throw, you know, cast the dog in the wind, man, just doing a basic area search and getting bites. Uh, but where I was going with that was we're losing dogs because a lot of those squirters, if you will, 
were wearing uh, suicide vests, so they get bit or they see the dogs get close mm. and they clack themselves off. So that's how we lost a lot of our dogs throughout the war. Yeah, yeah there was a, a couple really infamous incidents with that involving Army dogs. Uh, yeah. Of whole house IEDs and, and, oh, yeah. and squirters, yeah. multiple vests, clacking off left and right. Yeah. I'm, I'm standing here today with a pulse because of several of those dogs, man, that, yeah. you know, they did what they were trained to do, and they saved a lot of guys because of it. Yeah, and that so was... So can you yeah. give us the name of a dog, your favorite, that you had on the end of your leash when you were at work? Uh, <laughs> favorite, that's a trick question. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess I would have two. Uh, my primary dog, Urse, was a he was a dutchy mal cross super super great dog man super social but when it was time to turn it on you know he had to switch and then uh bodie bodie was not my primary dog he was a buddy of mine he's got, i don't know if you guys have heard of aaron Greider. um he got killed in that was uh 2010 and his i was on that target he, he was in on point, and we were going to a follow-on. We just made a hell of a lot of a noise and moving through a small village to another follow-on, and we were ambushed by a, a machine gun, TRK. And Aaron got killed, Bodie got wounded, and a couple other team guys up front were got wounded as well. Bodie, I took Bodie's lead because I was the only other canine trained guy on target, even though I wasn't formally a handler at that time. I was kind of starting. Uh, so we, we, we got off that target, went back home after that deployment. Um, Bodie got sewed up. He got fixed. He did some rehab. He was a hell of a dog, man, a, a real man-eater, but a like, great working dog. And then the following um, deployment, which is right after I tore my ACL, so I was not there, one of my teammates was working with Scotty, and uh, – they were doing a movement to contact. They, they saw an, they knew of an enemy machine gun position with a couple bad guys on a on a ridge line. They were moving to it. While moving to it, um, this dog uh, got wind um, a crosswind. I guess it was. I don't know the whole story because I wasn't there. But he 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 knew he uh, picked up on some bad guys that were laying in ambush for them that they did not know about while they were moving there. So. He went and engaged these bad guys. Uh, before he could get to them, they, they got him because it was a machine gun. They, they burned him down pretty good. But he saved that whole troop, man. A couple of my buddies had, like, rounds hit their back plates when they were breaking contact and stuff, yeah. It could have been ugly if, if that dog hadn't, hadn't picked up on it. So that, that's, in, that's, that's unreal. Unreal. To that think was about. a good dog. He, he'd been a, yeah, I, that dog probably had five rotations. And like I said, two of them, he came into contact, you know, been shot himself the second time fatally. So, yeah. So when you got, when you got, so when you got into the dog on the, to start that program, the dog side anyway, what was the process for like selection and procurement of the, of the dogs? Or did you guys just kind of fly by the seat of your pants? Did you reach out to some of the other units? Did you bring in some expertise from other guys? Or how did that work out? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, that place, we don't really do things flying by the seat of our pants. Um, right. <laughs> uh, 
you know, yeah. So although although the the, the beginning of the per the program because we didn't know we never used these dogs before, but we brought in experts. So we went out and found probably some of the biggest names in the industry for the police canine world, some like top level trainers. Um, brought them guys in and they helped us get it started. Um, so no, it wasn't kind of like jumping in. You know, we we had some help. We 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 bought some or paid some guys to help us out, and then we built on that program, and it's still evolving to this day. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's been some other interviews um, of some other guys from there that kind of that where they came later in the process, I guess, and they kind of said the same thing. But I, I always find it interesting because the selection process on that end um, is a lot different than it is on, on say like the police side of things. Um, even though, you know, I mean, it's similar dogs and, but the process is a lot different, which is, I always find interesting. I mean, uh, one of our buddies who I keep intending to have on, he was a, he was a handler in the first battalion and he did a rotation as their trainer. And when he got out, he was like, Oh, I need some green dogs. And where do I get them? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? He was, like oh when i was a battalion they just fall out of the sky i'm like well somebody pre-screened them for you (laughs) so he was like i just show up at the airport and they were badass i'm like it doesn't work like that here (laughs) so yeah y'all know the selection i i think the selection and i don't think i know the selection and training for the dogs is is more more uh harder i guess or higher failure rate attrition rate is higher for the dogs than it is for us i mean we're talking about you buy a go to europe on a dog buying trip buy a uh, you know a group of dogs and probably 90 percent of them i would say if i had to guess wash out they get like a 30-day kind of selection and training right. program and they don't show the traits necessary uh during that first month they get sent back to the to the vendor um, and luckily we hired those, those really smart canine guys in the beginning. And there, some of them are still there, uh, cause they already had the contacts in place in Europe and, you know, Holland and, uh, um, Nether- or, well, Netherlands is Holland, but, right. um, right, right. Belgium and Germany, you know, those right, right. good, good dog breeding programs. Yep. Right. Yeah. The selection was pretty, uh, stringent for the dogs. So yeah. since you're so in the early <laughs> stages of this. You know, and there's a, there's going to be a lot of trial and error. What what are some things right. you tried in the beginning that you guys washed out? That you're like, yeah, this just this was dumb, or it just isn't practical. Um, you know, one of the tra- the original trainer we brought on, he's still there. Um, he's a he's he's one of my mentors, and I still talk to him okay. this day. Um, he he's still there, kind of running things and helping bring new dogs in and train new their handlers. I I can't say there's any specific training technique. Well, maybe I, that's a trick question. I wish I was more prepared. <laughs> yeah. Detection, I guess training bomb detection. They don't mm-hmm. do the same. Like we, we originally did the protocol boxes in the beginning. Uh-huh. Now they're not when they're, when they're imprinting dogs, they're, they're doing uh, some other techniques now, but a lot of those fundamentals, man, you know, basics are basics and mastering those basics is how you become really good. Um, yeah. I guess it's kind of like that. I don't know if that was a good answer that you're looking for. No, but, yeah. it's something that Eric equipment, and I... Equipment has changed. Yeah. Some of the equipment kind of went away. 
that we started with compared to what they're using now. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's something that so your previous I... experience, you came from the sniper unit uh, and then probably other things before that. Did your previous experience help you as a handler uh, as far as maybe tactics and helping to build the tactics, things that you had seen in the past, or, or was it just still kind of building from the ground up? Yes. Um, yeah, my past experience definitely helped me. Uh, being an operator, being... <sighs> Being really switched on, which most guys where I was working are, uh, helps. Being that I hate using those those, those shrink analogies as type A personality and that stuff. I, I don't necessarily hold a lot of faith but in that, but that's, I guess, the analogy I'm going to use. So those type A, those pipe swingers, you know, those ass-kicking guys that are switched on, and that helps being a handler. You don't want your, mm. you know introvertive uh kind of not so assertive guys being dog handlers you want them up front spearheading the way getting getting out front and finding you know threats finding bad guys finding bombs whatever whatever it is that's why you're there so you want someone a little more you know type a i guess yeah, makes sense to me i don't yeah. know it's there's a lot of units just just to caveat that sorry i don't mean to interrupt there's a lot of units that don't recruit their handlers they they use more of a support role handler in other words hey we need a dog because we found a tunnel let's send them down here and look for you know a, a device or something like that as opposed to like cqb dog's the first guy in the room handler's the second guy in the room and everybody else kind of flows in and it's free flow the dog goes amongst the team hunting like a pack throughout the building you know so on and so forth you kind of want that lead from the front type handling dogs. You don't want the, at least in my experience. I mean, I'm sure it works for some units where it's more of a reserve kind of bring them from the front. Uh, I'm sorry, bring them from the rear because we got this situation to deal with. So that, that's right. my opinion, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we talked to um, <clears throat> one of the guys that was a handler um, on one of the other units uh, for Naval Special Warfare, <clears throat> and he was never uh, he was never a SEAL. He didn't go through buds. Right. Um, he was a dog guy. He was a master at arms. And, an MA, probably, right? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And super good guy, super good dog handler, and went on some fucking hairy missions and did some hairy target shit, and, but still, it got blown up. But, I mean, you know, he said <clears throat> that was one of – and he was there at the very, very beginning of that program when they didn't have, like, dog handlers in that unit. So um, – you know, I guess it sounds like you guys, I mean, you kind of recruited from within your unit and said, who wants to do this? Like, who wants to be a dog handler? And so and you guys just, well, not just did it. But, yeah, I mean, so that's sort of how those guys do it now, but it sounds like you guys did it that way. Um, you know, and that's something that Eric. Yeah, and Eric and I kind of harp on that a lot, both going back to basics and then also handler selection is such an important thing with, you know, picking handlers and, and pairing because, you know, here and on the law enforcement side, I often say, you know, I don't want to pair a 90-mile-an-hour dog with a 30-mile-an-hour handler. And, you know, and it does happen. I mean, you see guys that are exactly who you're describing, type A shit kickers, guys that are that want to go do something, and then the dog is kind of lackluster or whatever else. And the other way around, you get a dog that is just right. in fucking sane and an insane worker, extremely nice dog, and the handler's fucking lazy and, you know, and thankfully... In the United States, canine is usually a pretty coveted position, so most people you have are 
motivated, I guess, um, hopefully, right. on the law enforcement side. So, I mean, it's good to hear it's good to hear that, and, you know, it's good to hear that, you know, uh, and I understand, I mean, you know, you guys are in a, a uniquely different position than a lot of the law enforcement, even the SWAT guys. So um, I can imagine, and you guys utilize the dogs differently, too. I mean, that's, you know, than some of the other units. So um, that oh, yeah. being said, um you know, with the way that you guys integrated, um, so did you guys? You train the dogs, get them trained up, and I you train train with a bunch of handlers, correct? And then you integrate with the team after. Yeah, initially the dog kind of goes through his initial training with a trainer, and then gets assigned a handler, usually a new guy, unless he's replacing a dog that was killed or got sick or something like that. Right. Uh, and then that dog and handler team will integrate once they're through their basic, we'll call it basic handler course, right? Once they complete that time, then they get assigned to an operational element and they kind of just kind of jump in there, man, and get, get started with training stuff, you know, training missions first and then right. build up to a deployment or, you know. So whatever, the guys that had it. never really been around dogs, like a lot of the team guys that had never been around them, how, and I know you guys cross train and everything else, but how, uh, what's the, what are those first couple of training missions like when it's a new guy, new dog with a team and maybe they know the guy, maybe they don't, it's not exactly a large community, but you know, then <laughs> is there anything funny that you can talk about that's happened? Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably like dozens of, uh, like funny stories like that. Luckily we don't use like the handler's not a new guy. He's an experienced right. operator. He's done his time um, on an operational element, um, so right. he's 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 got experience and he's seen the dog because it's gone on multiple targets with him before. So I mean, he's never handled one per se, but right. he has experience running through buildings with dogs or moving to targets, stuff like that. Uh, I'm trying to think of a funny story. Well, like yeah, I wish done, I was better prepared. <laughs> no, that's fine, man. I've done a couple of uh, of the SWAT deals here in the U.S., and you get yeah. these SWAT guys that haven't ever been around a dog, and you know they're kind of like um, right. trying to decide like how this dog's going to work. They don't even know what they're capable of doing. Everything else, and you inevitably get to the question. It's like, all right, you know what other do you have the dog bites yeah. you? They're like, oh, shoot it. And you're like, no, well, you don't shoot the fucking dog. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, we oh. actually do a little. We actually do a little train up to the to the with the assaulters, the, the non canine guys. Right. Um, almost kind of like think about like your IFAC, your little individual first aid kit. A right. medic probably sat down and gave you a little class on here's how you use a tourniquet, unless you were a medic previously. Here's how you use a chest chest seal, so on and so forth. Same with a dog, man. I'll go with my troop and I'll give a little class. Hey, this is canine Earth. Um, he's a dual purpose. You know, explosive detection patrol dog. Um, I'm going to teach you some key phrases when we're moving through a target. If he does this, in other words, you want to cast him into this room. You know, I'm going to teach him, teach you guys the, the key phrases we use. If you want him to stop doing something, you know, hey, fooey, nay, whatever. Right. We kind of give them a little once over the world on canines, even if they're not canine guys. So everybody gets a little, little, you know, get their feet wet a little bit. Because it has to, man. It's one big, giant, chaotic, you know, episode going on inside a house or a building. You know, flashbangers, breaching charges, gunfire, all this chaos is going on. And those dogs got to be clear-headed, man. And they got to be able to discriminate 
and make good decisions as well as operate with it you know with a team or as part of a team you just think of like dogs one big pack of dogs hunting and that's that's our comparison when we train those dogs hunting with us in buildings or outside or what have you yeah it's it's interesting you say that because it's one of the things that i try because a lot of our a lot of my local guys that train with me all the time do a lot of fto stuff for new new cops aren't even fucking handlers and most of the time they show up they're definitely not they're not even cops yet and so i usually throw them into the mix a lot of the time and i make them back up all these guys during training and i make them you know yank people out from under cars and with the dogs attached to them and fucking put them in cuffs and blah 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 and do the whole deal and so they they have to be yeah they have to be comfortable they have to be they have to understand you know what's going on what the dogs do what they're capable of doing what they're not capable of doing and you know i mean it goes a long way because when those guys are you know they've been a month on you know out of ft you know out of the training period and then they're assigned to a call they're on a call with one of my handlers and one of the dogs bites somebody there <laughs> they have zero problems helping you know a lot of times i see it yeah. With people that are like yep. apprehensive, or cops that are apprehensive about the dogs, and I worked with them before and everything else. But yeah, no, I mean you're a hundred percent right, and that's kind of one of the next questions I wanted to ask about is, you know, for because you're obviously on the military military side. Um, a lot of the people that are listening to this are else are that, but they're also law enforcement. If you wanted to give some advice to a lot of the cops that are just normal canine handlers, like they're dual purpose canine handlers, they're running a cardex dog and they have they're asked to do apprehension or well they're asked to do tracks and apprehensions and everything else. What uh do you see that cross apply that 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 can be used from everything that you've done to help these guys like quickly and easily? Okay. Um I guess I, I- I'll talk two points. Kind of one of them is a little bit of a pet peeve, but the one that's a pet peeve, which is um, having decoys, right? Uh, and I'll talk yeah. a little bit about it. But I know it's a it's 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 a kind of a finite training resource, so we don't have a team of decoys we can use. So sometimes, yeah, you might have to, as a police canine handler, grab a guy off your department. And now he's the suspect and he's, you know, the dog's kicking his ass and you got to do, you got to deal the hand you're dealt with or play the hand you're dealt with. Um, So I understand that. However, there's a lot of departments, bigger agencies that are integrating canine into their um, SWAT or tactical units. Um, And it just, it crushes me. It, it, It makes me bite my tongue really hard when I see them having another SWAT officer decoy for a dog because you know they have so many of them um and i like i said i know that's a finite resource we don't all have that luxury of having a team of professional decoys come in however if you want this dog to to treat that guy as a member of the team as a peer or even above a peer you can't have him kicking the guy's ass you know three out of four training scenarios a week or whatever so i would say if you're going to have decoys maybe look around train some guys up maybe some some other support staff or something like that or another department if your buddies with another department ask for help just because you're, you're you're conditioning this dog to do something right and it's not always done correctly and i've worked with some departments and I've, I've witnessed it and that's why i say that um if you can help it and i know like i said it's a, a lot of departments aren't funded real well and it's a limited resource however Having those di- different decoys, man, 
they're not the same guy every time, like every other canine guy right. knows, right? You always have the same mm-hmm. guys. Um, what was the other thing? Crap. I, I forgot. Yeah, hopefully it'll come to me. I'm like every <laughs> other vet, man. I got TBI, so <laughs> I'll write stuff down. I'll be like, uh, yeah, I'll come back to that later. Let's take a second and talk about dog trip. Astute trainers with proper training tools are the key to unleashing any dog's potential. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools in e-collar training, GPS tracking, and boss training to support dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. One of the ways they do that is superior technology, ergonomics, design, and durability. They have gradual and precise stimulation control via their patented 127-level rheostat dial, so you have a minimal jump in stimulations they have trusted durability and reliability. I use them every day at the kennel and have for years. Works all the time, every time. Weatherproof, waterproof, and pretty much idiot-proof. They're, speaking of which, is intuitive and innovative. There's no fuss, no hassle. When you hear Eric talking about making sure the handlers know exactly where the remote is and it's a no-look use, this is exactly what he's talking about. Hit him up at doctor.com. Tripwire Operations Group. We are first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive text pack. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. All right, we're back with Fred from Storm Tactical Consulting. Uh, We've been talking about pet peeves and some of the stuff that – Law enforcement handlers should be able to learn from some of these guys that have gone overseas a bunch. Um, so, Fred, now you did two rotations as a canine handler um, and then hit your anniversary date and got out, correct? Uh, yeah, I did a couple of years. Um, it wasn't two rotations per se. Um, it was a couple of years. Okay. okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I was mean, a handler right. for a while, and then when I was going through my rehab and stuff, surgery and rehab, I was the... Uh, Kind of the two IC of our dog program, kind of program manager, I guess. Um, so as you get out, you go to work for K two, and then uh, you're there yep. for a couple of years, and then you come out and start Storm Tactical, um, which, yes. uh, as you mentioned, is more than just canine. But that's all we've really talked about because of the podcast. But you also do firearms instruction. I see you guys do some MVG stuff for teaching for um, that kind of stuff. But uh, once you got out. What um, did you see in terms of storms, like uh, in terms of storm tactical consulting's um, business stuff on the canine side? Um, not really sure. I understood that question. So, oh, sorry, <laughs> we can cut. We can no, edit no, it. go ahead and read the word for him. Sorry about uh, that. So, after you get out and you start storm tactical, from the canine uh, yep. perspective, what were you doing? Were you doing law enforcement? Were you doing ATF? Were like, oh, oh, or, oh yeah. gotcha. Oh, so oh, kind of a wide variety of clients, man. I've worked with everybody from Bortac, you know, Border Pro- Patrol's national tactical oh, yeah. team, to freaking you know Southern Pines Police Department, North Carolina. I mean, little. 
little real small department. So mm-hmm. I've done a, a wide variety of canine stuff. I've kind of find mm-hmm. a little niche uh, element with the rope stuff because we did a lot of infill exfil stuff with our dogs. And like I said, these big SWAT teams are kind of joint, jumping on that bandwagon and they use, they have those assets. So I found myself doing a lot of that, uh, fast roping with canines, you know, repelling, even high-angle rope rescue stuff. Maybe not rope rescue, but tactical, you know, tactical assault climbing with canines, lowering dogs into confined spaces, hoisting dogs to rooftops, repelling, ascending, what have you, all the basic rope skills as a tack- as an assault climber, doing some of that stuff, which is pretty fun, man, because not a lot of people are doing it, and it's, like I said, it's real niche. Unfortunately, you can't pay your mor- mortgage on doing those classes because you can't book like 12 of those a year, but right. kind of neat. Got to do a few of those, you know. Yeah. Done some explosive detection classes with some SEALs and um, just a, a wide, like I said, a wide variety of clients. Awesome. So um, for 2018, uh, you have several classes booked up. I don't think you don't have any canine stuff set up this currently, correct? I kind of I leave that. I don't have any on the calendar. I leave that kind of open. If I get a call from an agency requesting it then i'll i'll you know i'll prepare a quote submit it the quote and i've got a couple agencies kind of doing that right now they're working through some budgeting so not everybody has you know money for canine so right i'm sure you guys understand that oh Oh, yeah yeah. oh yeah so you do part of your thing if you have a uh an issue with uh dog stuff you do a lot of they mostly hire you for swat integration with the dogs is that uh yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of that, um, working, integrating dogs into, you know, tactical teams or tactical operations. Now, you know, what law enforcement's version of that is compared to, you know, tier one soft units, it's a little different, but yeah. a lot of the principles are the same, same fundamentals. I would I would guess now, because I was on SWAT <laughs> for a long time, and I worked a dog on SWAT for almost 15 yep. years, I would guess that you go to those classes and the... They hire you for for canine integration on a team, and it may be a smaller team or, or whatever. And it turns into right. a, your tactics suck, and it <laughs> ends up not even being a dog integration rather than a SWAT tactics seminar. Oh, uh, I cannot confirm or deny that. Uh, <laughs> that may or may not have happened. Um, every department is different, man. Some people, some guys are super humble and super like sponge like you know they'll take it all in they eat it up they love it yeah i want to work my dog i want to do this with my dog i want to do that but you know you guys that have done law enforcement you know then there's those canine guys you know that they've been doing it for 30 years and they've always done it the same way and one dog one handler dog wants to eat everybody else and that's kind of that old school police canine mentality Mm -hmm. and i've come across that a few times it's just, um, and that's my, I'm always a student. I'm always learning is learning how to deal with that and kind of work with that kind of mindset. Um, cause they're out there still, you know, so that's been my education is learning, <laughs> learning cause I can't yell at people anymore. So I have to be political <laughs> or I have to be at least tactful. Right, and, right, um, yeah. yeah. So I have to kind of be nice about it. Well, Hey, try this, this, that, Maybe that doesn't work. Let's try this way or something like that. You know, just learning how to talk to people. 
just right. like every other veteran who's transitioned. Yep. <laughs> right. yeah, the, so. the, hey, you guys suck was just mentally uh, paraphrasing. You know, reading well, <laughs> I did that at K2, and it didn't work well for me there. So yeah, kind of one of the reasons I started my own company. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. you. No, my partner is old, is an old-ass seven special forces guy and he uh he has his moments <laughs> yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah he has a few moments every now and then where i'm like what <laughs> what just happened it's so that, it's that instant instant institutionalization i i read a good write-up on it yesterday actually and i'm like wow this this pretty much hits hits the nail right on the head man oh yeah you know so, yeah, it's a process um you know, I hear a lot, and of course, it's from people that know what the fuck they're talking about. But um, you know, we see a lot of times like SWAT dog this, SWAT dog that. Um, what yep. in your uh, and I asked Subtle a similar question on on our like second or third episode. Like um, so, yeah. Uh, that's where that's where my yeah. first dog came from, man. That's yeah, where I got well, first. So I I I, I, Go ahead. Uh, Sorry. I I no, it's fine. I have a sinking suspicion. I know what you're about to say, though. So when we're selecting dogs or when you guys are selecting dogs for SWAT or for special operations, um, there's this big misnomer that these dogs are big, fucking gnarly, like out of control, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, eh, because we get it a lot. They're like, oh, you know, what's the difference between a SWAT, between a SWAT dog and a patrol dog? And my answer is always control. Like, that's it. And, you know, there's a lot more and obviously there's a lot more different. But, you know, I think there's this big misnomer about um, what they are and what they aren't. So kind of run down, I guess, briefly, easily, the, um, what your like your ideal uh, special operations or SWAT dog looks like. OK, so they have to be strong. They have to be really strong, tough nerve or high level of nerve. But they have to be social, man. I have to hand this. We got this big 10-foot wall. I have to hook up my dog to a rope, hand it to the guy on the top of the ladder, and have him hoist my dog over that, maybe even grab my dog by the harness. And in the dark, under nods, you know, maybe there's been gunfires nearby. So they've got to be social, man. They've got to integrate well with the team. Um, I, I'll show you if we ever meet. My my dog now, canine boy. He's probably the friendliest, most social dog you'll ever see. I mean, this this dog, he'll get on the ground with the kids and roll around and you know get his belly rubbed. But when it's time to work, he has that switch. When it's time to bite somebody or search for somebody to bite, so and that's the thing with the SWAT integration is not every patrol dog has what it takes to be that dog. Um. And that's that's the problem with SWAT units. Sorry? Oh, no, it was just some echo. Oh, echo, sorry about that. Um, the problem is a lot of departments, especially ones that don't have significant budgets, and I understand that, um, they expect a, their patrol canine to be the SWAT dog and right. be really good at discriminating, you know, non-threats, versus, a, uh, you know, a suspect or somebody that wants to bite. Our dogs, they grew through weeks, and I mean weeks, of, um, of uh, target discrimination. We start, you know, t- we put the training wheels on, we start real easy, and we build them up to it. So they're, they're, they're trained discriminators, man. Like I said, smoky rooms, dark rooms, gunfire, breaching charges, you, what have you. They're going to be able to come to a room where there's three operators rolling around with a bad guy, make a discrimination call and help apprehend the bad guy 
or make the correct decision of who to bite. And that's very difficult. Not every dog can do that. And oh, there's yeah. testing, um, procurement tests to do to see if the dog has those, possesses those, those abilities or traits to get started. So I guess that's the answer. Yeah, and um, I mean, that kind of... Discrimination. I, I yell at my handlers all the time. You know, the first thing I tell them during patrol school is you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. So, yeah. you yeah. know, I, I tell them, I was like, you know, and in the U.S., when they start doing building searches that are off lead and everything else, I'm like, you better make fuck sure that whoever's in there ain't supposed to be in there. And, you know, you're not doing off lead building searches in a fucking school at night if there's no sign of force entry because you have an alarm call going because it could be the janitor. And I was like, because they'll buy old people, they'll buy kids, they'll buy the first fucking thing they come to. So they, you have got to, and what you just said confirms all of that. And I've heard similar stories about the way that those dogs are selected and the way that you guys teach that stuff. And it's super cool and it's super interesting. But, you know, I mean, they're taught, like you said, they're taught target discrimination just like. You guys are so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not rocket science, but on the same in the same hand, you know, it, it's a, it's an exceedingly difficult skill set to teach to an animal that really generally only wants to do is just fucking bite people. So, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely uh, tricky, man. It has a lot of uh, you know nuances to it. The biggest thing, any dog training or a handler getting a dog to do something that he might not normally do is trust, right? We have to have that trust. The yep. dog has to have the trust, not us. Um, and that, that goes a step further with the tactical unit integration. The dog has to trust everybody on that team and know everybody on that team. And that helps his brain. That keeps him clear, more clear-headed, and helps him with those, those decisions he's going to make in a split, uh, split second. And that kind of leads into my second point. You guys asked me, uh, what would I pass on for information? That second one that I brain dumped, so it just came to me, which is relationship. You have to have a relationship with that dog, whether it be as a handler or even the team. There has to be a relationship. I see way too many handlers just because their trainer, who was showed that way 30 years ago, hammer dogs and hammer dogs. And, yeah, the dog dog rebounds and can take corrections and he's a hard-ass dog however if you keep hammering that dog into submission or into you know conditioning a certain way in his brain it doesn't facilitate all those other things it's it's fear he's operating under fear of the handler um you need to have a relationship and trust not fear that would be my i guess biggest takeaway for any handler really yeah, that's always the uh, the downside on my end because, um, you know, like for right now, you know, Scott and I have, I don't know, 12 dual-purpose dogs we're working on, and I don't have yep. a ton of time to establish yeah, a huge relationship with those dogs and right. you know i i don't i don't have i have like 16 18 weeks or something and i've got to do all of them and the dogs are being handled by myself by scott they're being handled by my kennel interns jamie and josh and you know i don't have that now you know those dogs are good when they're done and they go through the handler school and everything else and the handlers start training with us and by the end of the handler school because those dogs have started to bond with that handler those guys can are able to take those dogs way farther than i ever could even though they're not trainers in in a short amount of time because you know i get access to the dog you know i'm working him three to five to seven times a day at you know 
you know, eight, five, 10, 15 minutes at a time. And then, you know, the motherfucker never sees me. I don't feed him. Jamie feeds him, you know, and so she walks him. And, but so like, he's, I'm just the guy with the ball or the guy, you know, so he's, it's, it's something that is extremely important. And, you know, sadly, I, I don't get to do that a lot with the dogs we have. I mean, I do bond with them eventually, but you know, as many of how many ever we've done through a lot, you know, I, I bond with some, some I don't, some I have relationships with some and it's a tentative one where I'm like, you're going to fucking work or you're not going to do anything. And they're like, okay, fine. I'm not going to bite you today. And (laughs) so, you know, it's, and, but those dogs are not to be fucking awesome when they get with their handler because, you know, I mean, those dudes are, that team is, is, is fantastic, but no, I, I completely agree with that. That's a, that's fantastic advice as well, for sure. So the uh, Storm Tactical Consulting, you know, you do everything that it sounds like. What is, like, what do you get excited when you get an email, you get a call? What discipline are, is, like, your thing, like, you really get excited about still? Uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's so slow because the market's so saturated. It'd be any kind of email, but um, I guess my favorite stuff is, like, uh I like doing the like the rope work, a lot of the high angle stuff. I also like doing some of the precision rifle, um, pistol. I guess those are my. I don't know if you can have three favorites. Um, yeah, if, of course yeah. you can. CQB. Ah, shit. See, I can't. I can't pick a favorite. Yeah. Um, sniper probably, dudes are always sniper dudes, though. <laughs> sniper guys always well, go back yeah. to precision shooting. They always yeah, fall back it's to fun, that. and you know yeah. it's not as physical. Well, some aspects are the movement, maybe to to and from position, but not as physical as I get older now. You know, I'm like 45, and I'm all crusty, and all my joints are broken, and mm-hmm. you know, it's rough physical shape. So it's easier to teach that stuff now. Yeah. You make a lot like, of noise when you stand up, back off your stomach from a <laughs> shooting position. Runs and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do a lot of that. Yep, I'm there with you. So what do you got coming up? Uh, got to do some. I've been doing a lot of um, kind of like uh, what do you call it? Art. Um, spe- what's the uh, special ops guys for AFSA Air Force? So oh. I got a buddy who owns a company out in New Mexico, and he does a lot of um, full mission profile stuff. Really, not just spe- shooting specific or anything, but. I'm going out there in June, doing a couple weeks with those guys. That's always fun because it's in the mountains, beautiful climate, a lot of long-range stuff. You know, we work on other stuff as well. Um, and then I've got uh, – sometimes I'll do subcontract work. So, like, I'll work with Oak Grove Technologies or um, Northern Red, although it's been a while since I did anything with Northern Red, uh, some of those companies. Oh, that's cool. That's about so it, really. You, um, like right now, so people will listen to this and they're like, oh, shit, man, I'd like to get this guy to come out and do this and this. What do you have opening wise? Where, where are you not booked? Where, what's the best time for them to think about? So, I last week, I think it was, maybe the week before, I just put some open enrollment course dates that run through the fall. Some of them are a little more specialized uh, for certain people. There's some, um, there's a low vis we call it, which basically concealed carry type tactics, but taking it a step further, man, putting the tactics with it. Not really, not a concealed carry permit class. Like here's the law. 
here's what you can get away with, and then here, shoot into this 9-inch pie plate from 15 meters away. This is a tactics class. This is how to, how to you know, manipulate the gun, working in and out of vehicles, uh, blades, that kind of stuff. That's coming up soon, uh, first weekend of June. I've got some precision rifle dates on the calendar. I've got some carbine pistol stuff. I've got land navigation and map reading stuff for guys that are looking to do selection courses. I did one last fall. I did an actual selection prep class where I do some team events, some water events, land navigation, that kind of stuff. I give them some classes in the beginning, and then, then I kind of test their metal. I'm doing another one yeah. of those this fall. So I've got some stuff on the calendar for open room enrollment. Awesome. Where's well, Go ahead. I was going to say, it'd be kind of cool to have you come out to some of these high-risk deployment seminars that um, we we do. Like, I do them. Eric does some of them. Uh, there's the guys like Paul Ludwig and those guys from Iron Dog do them a lot. And we teach basic handler, I mean, you know, just normal handlers how to do, because not every call is a fucking SWAT call, and not every call is going to be one. It doesn't mean that you can't right. operate in a way that keeps you from getting fucking killed, and that you can't use the dog in a specific way, but it would be interesting to have a guy like you there. The last one I did um, down in Florida, yep. um, I had an active uh, ranger handler there, um, and he just fucking showed up, and he's a friend of mine, yep. um, good dude, and but having him there uh, we had another SWAT guy there, but having those two guys there uh, was super interesting because, you know, in, in as short as three days, we had just normal fucking patrol guys looking like they knew what the fuck they were doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, awesome. which which is which is the whole point of that entire exercise anyway, but it'd be interesting to have a guy like you come out and if even for like two to three days or whatever it is um with just normal canine guys and just super basic shit like this is how we do entry this is how we use long lines this is what the dog should be doing this is what they shouldn't be doing because it's not just you know normal you know just doing shit out in the middle of an open grassy field and whatever else but yeah i mean if you have time i mean that would be super cool yeah man it sounds definitely like it'd be fun to do um just send me the Send me the dates and, and all that. And <laughs> we'll see if we can figure some, it out. Time. Yeah. Or if you well, have them. If you don't, then just let me know. <laughs> all right. Uh, so where can we find you on Instagram? It's storm underscore tactical underscore consulting, correct? Perfect. I said it yeah. better myself. Uh, Excellent. And yep, then, that's it, man. And I have a Facebook, same thing, storm. There's no underscore, just storm tactical consulting. Facebook, Instagram, and then I have a website, which right now is a free Wix site. Right. So just Google Storm Tactical Consulting and it'll take you there. Search engine. Yeah, we'll. Uh, I I'll make a note here. Alicia, make sure you put the thing. Uh, she'll put it in the show notes, uh, the link to it, and to the Facebook page. So it'll be super easy to find. But yeah, awesome. awesome. This has yeah. been a great interview. I loved it. Yeah. I always like learning shit and cool yeah. stuff. Talking to dudes who've been there. You're how old? You say you are forty five. Forty five. Yeah, I'm forty eight. So finally, somebody around my age. <laughs> Yeah. Young guys, like both, both you motherfuckers are broken. <laughs> no shit. In a lot of ways. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. High, high impact job for about oh, a long yeah. time. Yeah. Well, right on, well, Fred. Cool, this this is an awesome me, interview. I appreciate it. Thanks. It was an yep. honor. Yeah. Right. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. 
led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high drive dual purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number 9. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number 9. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. <laughs> I was going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and hand makes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at ALMSuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at BracketDesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.